Not to worry that you were really rubbish at packing biscuits, I kept breaking them all. Uncovering the most amazing stories from the most talented innovators and creatives in marketing, tech and digital. This is the Wonderful People Podcast. Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Wonderful People Podcast with me, Dan Mordup, founder of Wonderful Creative. And me, Phil Jones, founder of the Podge Lunches and Dan's sidekick, mentor and T-boy at the Wonderful Agency. The modern day Batman and Robin. Mr. Jones, how are you and how's your week been? Tell me something interesting about your week in lockdown. Well, one of the nice things about lockdown was when we used to all go out on a Thursday night clapping and you really get to know your neighbours. And our next door neighbour has just given me a whole set of crime books by a guy called Peter James that I'm working my way through at the moment. They're all set in Brighton and they've all got the word dead in the title. And uh, all I can say is I'm never going to visit Brighton, never, ever going there, because it's the murder capital of the world. Didn't I tell you, we've just picked up the PR campaign for Brighton Council, (laughs) and you're going to be the face of it. I think think you may have just lost that account. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Phil. I appreciate the offer. (laughs) And well, and another thing that's happened this week is you've been shortlisted for Influence of the Year at Creative Pool Awards, haven't you? I have, Dan. Thank you for mentioning it. And I don't know the result yet, but I do know that at one point I was in the top three or four and the other people were from Argentina, Italy and Bulgaria. So I'm the only English person in that little top group. So keep your fingers crossed for me. Here we go. We should know soon. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, their fingers crossed and everyone get voting, although by the time you listen to this episode, we'd have found out the results. Fingers crossed, mate. So we're really excited for the next episode of this podcast because we're talking to another wonderful person, someone who's got a great story. And we just love the episodes where we're talking to people from all different walks of life, from creative to tech, sport to music and everything in between. So I'm going to hand over to Mr. Jones himself to introduce the next episode of the Wonderful People podcast. Uh, It's my absolute pleasure to introduce Kate Dale. Kate and I have known each other for a long time, and today we've got the pleasure of finding out all about the incredible award-winning This Girl Can campaign that celebrated its fifth anniversary in lockdown, an amazing story of the person who's been heading it up at Sport England from the very start. As campaign lead, Kate has lived and breathed this campaign since its inception. Today, she tells us not just about the campaign and how it's inspired her personally, but how her 20-plus-long-year career in sport has shaped both her business and her life. From her newfound love of performing on stage to learning how to find her voice and feel empowered to use it. And we're going to delve deep into the mind of one of Carlisle United's elite fan base and how she landed her dream job. When I've been talking to people in the office about Kate Dowell and this girl can campaign, everyone, boys and girls, all included, have been super excited about that. So I want to get the, want to get the, the inside story about all of that. And uh, I know Kate and Phil have been friends for a while. So if there's anything we can say about Phil Jones, then please feel free to jump oh. in, Kate. <laughs> that's, that's one of my missions in life, I think, now. Without mentioning alcohol. Without mentioning alcohol, I- 
<laughs> I have no knowledge of Phil Jones without alcohol. Okay. So that's the be a very short podcast. Yes, there ends the story. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. No, but it's um, it's great to have you, Kate. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's really exciting to be part of this, and it's really lovely to talk to. Well, obviously, Phil, I've known for a long time, but yeah, we've just met, so it's nice to meet new people as well in this crazy world that we're in this crazy in. world, indeed, indeed. So we start off with some really, really deep and uh, intense questions. Here we go. First one. Although, actually, to be fair, it has got quite deep with some people, which is great. But if you were to be stuck in a lift with anyone, Kate, anyone in the world, who would it be and why? See, there's two ways to go with this question. There's quite a few people I'd love to get in a lift now and either possibly leave her or to say, what were you thinking? And just explain that to me because that didn't make sense. But if I'm going to be stuck in there with them, then I think I want to make it a positive, exciting experience and something where I can learn from someone who will inspire me. So, oh gosh, there's lots. I think at the moment, possibly because I've just watched Mrs. America, um, the women's libbers from the 70s, America 70s, who really fought, um, fought to get the ERA through. Um, and so Betty Freeman, uh, Frieden, Gloria Steinman, Shirley Challen, and all of them. And just talk about how they did it. I mean, I'd fangirl for quite a lot of it, so i to try and get that out of the way. It'd have to be a very long lift or be stuck there. Um, but just find out how they kept going and they kept going and they kept going and they seemed to retain some optimism throughout it all when it was really difficult. And I think some of that right now, I'd really love to be able to tap into that. So, yeah, and if you haven't watched Mrs. America, it's amazing. And the story and actually their story and what they did and how long it took them to do it. And obviously we're still a long way to go in terms of general, all sorts of equalities. Probably come on to that. But yeah, so probably them. Don't you think Angela's going to be gutted that you didn't mention <laughs> <laughs> yes she is um, oh, I've been in lift with Angela and I am very much looking forward to being in a lift oh gosh she is going to be I should have said Angela shouldn't I <laughs> oh. yeah I do miss being in a lift with Angela Field um, and that was always one of the best things about working in an office on the floor above um, it's our various trips up and down the office floor very often weirdly wearing very similar clothes that we hadn't coordinated but we would just turn up in the same outfits maybe too many shopping trips together would that, they have included leopard prints leopard prints polka dots uh, there was a mini mouse ears occasion. Sequins? Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. So when we talk about returning to the office, it's only if only if she goes back as well, because otherwise, frankly, what's the point? So is that the uniform that you'd have in the lift? It, it sort of emerged. It was a bizarre meeting of minds, I think. We've known each other um, nearly as long as I've known Phil Jones, but I might know Phil longer, actually. Alcohol has been involved with both friendships, I have to say, and relationships quite a lot. Um, but yeah, a sort of meeting of minds and we'd be inspired by the same things. But yes, I think our receptionists used to quite laugh at us because we just sort of emerged from the lift miraculously in the same... In the same, same outfit, outfit. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. So you're obviously your head of campaign strategy at Sport England. Now, what brought you to Sport England in the first place? Are you sporty by nature? How did you end up in this role? My PE teacher, if she's still with this, and she's probably not now, would be absolutely gobsmacked to think that I worked at Sport England um, ever or for 16 years as it is now. I'm not sporty at all. Hated it at school because I was rubbish at it. Hated team sports in particular because I've got no hand-eye coordination. Um, and they used to make me, in netball, they used to make me goalkeeper because I was tall for my age, but then take my glasses off so that it wouldn't get smashed. So I'd just be stood around people threw balls at my face that I couldn't see coming. So not surprisingly, that wasn't a great experience. Um, oh gosh, I hope she's not listening to this now. I'm sure she'd do things differently now. 
Um, so not sporty at all. So I applied to uh, build what was their first proper website. Uh, God, that really ages me, doesn't it? And really dates me. I was a journalist before that, a marketing journalist about my 20s. Jumped into website editing uh, uh, sort of over the millennium. Uh, yeah, and then they saw this job for Sport England, thought that sounds really interesting and joined. That's when I first met Phil because it was his agency. It was EHS Brand, wasn't it, that was building that first website and that portal. I think I was a portal manager, was a job title then. So joined then, um, got to grips with this really interesting world. Never expected in a million years to stay this long, I have to say. But I think not being sporty by background at all, and I still describe myself as not being from the world of sport, but I've been there so long that I probably can't get away with that now. We're supposed to know what I'm doing. I ask you then, 16 years is is a long time. How how has the organisation changed in those 16 years and uh, and what are the benefits and cons of maybe staying put um it's changed a lot i think i think what we focus on is obviously there's been the usual sort of structures and restructures and all the things that all businesses go go through sort of the first half of my time there the uh, london 2012 bid was one the year after i joined so i did a lot of work in the build up to that um, and thinking about how we could turn that into um, increasing participation. So that gave it a very particular focus. Um, I think it gave it a real um, impetus and a real position of, um, not power, but um, a real strength during those years up to 2012. And that was a real reason to stay. I thought for many years I'd leave after London 2012 because what could you do that would be bigger in sport than the Olympics and Paralympics? But, um, and you can't. But, but then we started working on a campaign that became This Girl Can, which we'll come on to, and that gave me a whole other passion. So I think one of the reasons I've stayed is because I've been very lucky in the roles that have changed. I've been able to do things that have really... Um, I've been I really cared about and have been really interesting and challenging and fun but also I've stayed because I've really enjoyed the people I work with I work in an organization full of people who really care about what they're doing and it's a real mix of experts so we have planners and designers and uh, sports development experts and people know all about volunteering and all sorts of things and it's really interesting meeting lots of different people and working with them and being there so long I think you get through that bit of understanding how an organization works and you get to apply that to what we actually have to do so I think I've really benefited from that um, and I've obviously made some fantastic friendships both in the organization and along the side of the organization as well there's probably some downsides I think you have to be really careful if you stay somewhere a long time to make sure that you don't get stuck in stuck in the rut, stuck in the ways of doing things I think you have to be careful that you constantly look for new ways of thinking and that you don't quash people who come in with new ideas because either it's not done that way around here or we tried that two years ago and it didn't work or the context may have changed or something may have changed so I think you have to try and think like a new person while benefiting from sort of the experience of I'm going to say no more the bodies are buried there are no bodies buried at usually. but yeah that sort of institutional history I think is really good and I think it's a really good thing and for an organization to try and get that balance does that yeah. answer the question Phil I think I went off on yes. one there yeah, but also over those years you've worked under a lot of different bosses male and female different yeah. styles uh, what have you learned about leadership and management from working with so many bosses and how many is it do you know uh i did a count i think technically it's about some of them were very short for various reasons but about 14 to 15 it averages just over or just under no just over one a year no just under one a year can't work that out but yeah so it's quite a quick obviously there's been some for long periods of time and some there's been various reasons what 
yeah. why it's been much shorter, but there's been a lot and a lot of different styles. I think I've learned lots of things actually. It's leadership and management, different things, neither of them are easy. Um, and so because they're not easy, you should never take it for granted. And if you're a manager, even if you're just managing one person, that should be your priority and that is your priority job because the people who report into you can't do your job if you don't meet their needs first. And that does obviously doesn't mean pandering to them or anything like that, but it does mean actually understanding your role in enabling them to do their job. And that doesn't always happen. Yeah. I think, I was going to say in this country, but I've never worked overseas, so I don't know whether that's true or not. I think it's easy to think people get promoted because they're good at their job functionally, and we don't necessarily give them the training and support they need to become good managers and become good leaders. It's a skill which can be acquired, and I think anyone can acquire it. I don't think, I think some people might do it more naturally, and they might naturally have more empathy. I think everyone can learn to do it, and I think everyone can learn to do it in a style that meets who they are. But you have to consciously acquire it and you have to consciously practice it. I think the male-female thing is interesting. I've had great male bosses, I've had great female bosses, and I've had, not just at Sport England, but in other places as well, terrible ones too. And I don't think gender, I think that's that's too easy for us to say, oh, it's about gender. I know you, I used to see your bosses on television quite often, but in recent years, it's you. And you're, I turn on Sky, turn on BBC, whatever I turn on, I'm Kate Dale. So I... <laughs> Are you nervous when you're going on the box? A little bit, but I I love it. Maybe I'm just a natural show-off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure that's good. But I think you get a bit of performance um, adrenaline, which I think is good. You should be nervous, especially when it's live. And I always have a moment of thinking, Kate, don't swear. I haven't yet. <laughs> I've sworn in print journalism that's been requoted at me. Um, which I can, yeah. Well, I swear on this, aren't you? I said to a campaign journalist that one of the joys about getting older is that you give less of a fuck what other people think. When they put it in a massive caption, it suddenly felt very different. <laughs> I'm not said head of campaign sport England. Um, so I've never done it on live TV or radio, which is a relief. I think something does kick in um, as sweary mouth as I normally am. No, I really love it. And because I'm talking about something that I really care about and um, is a really wonderful thing to talk about, I think it's quite it's quite easy and I do think and it's why I started and maybe this goes back to one of the benefits of staying somewhere for a long time is you get more confidence um, and grounding what you're talking about but I did make a decision quite a few years ago to start saying yes to public speaking opportunities and I think as a woman I think it's well as anybody actually but as a woman um, and this was before it became such a big thing about making sure that we do have more women speaking on panels and at things and it's much more thought about now and even more importantly being thought about in terms of other diversity as well but i think if you come from any of the um protected characteristic groups it's really important to try and say yes to those because if you don't who else is going to and there's a real world saying putting yourself forward so i think there is a it's not just about me showing off because i love the sound of my voice though clearly i do <laughs> No, that's brilliant. I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. Kind of, kind of slightly, slight curveball question now, but someone we ask, something we ask all of our guests, mainly because of the weird time of life that we're in. But what was the last thing that you saw, Kate, that you thought, Do you know what, that is really wonderful? Oh, the last thing. Um, oh, there's lots of different. That's what you said. The last thing, didn't you? I don't know, because we see so much less now, don't we? I'm working, have been working, like most, most of us, I'm assuming, but lots of us, been working from home since March. So 
in many ways that's made me change a lot of perspective and really appreciating my home a lot more and really appreciating things so uh when um probably like lots of people when we first got to lockdown and i went ordering things online crazy um i live in a flat and i don't have a garden so i ordered some soil i've got, had empty window boxes so fill those up with soil and ordered some seed buds and i've had um i call it a poppy field it's a window box um <laughs> my webcam's been a bit dodgy so otherwise i'll show you it because it's right next to me now so i sit in my bay window working every day um i've got poppies there just behind me you might be able to see there's some chamomile to make chamomile tea that genuinely gives me joy every day so that's my hippie answer in terms of being outside in the real in the world um oh a few weeks ago i had it was just after the beginning of july when lockdown first started a big relax of things that we could do and i had an appointment near covent garden which is where i uh, work in bloomsbury an appointment a beauty appointment over there <laughs> that was a joy thing in and of itself but after that i went into covent garden and it's I would never, especially in the summer, I'd never go to Covent Garden Piazza because it's touristy, it's crowded, you know, I'm a sophisticated Londoner now. When I was 16 and I came down from London, I was there all the time and I came down from Carlisle, sorry, loved it. Now I'm a sophisticated Londoner, would never go there. But I went into the piazza, went down into the wells at the bottom of it um, and there was a string quartet and it was the first live performance I'd seen since before lockdown and it made me cry. And it was just so lovely seeing people performing and just being and really appreciating so there's a real oh, this is so hippie isn't it but there's a real thing of appreciating some of the simple things in life again and then there's been lots of other amazing content that i've seen over the last few months i guess oh god things like um on tv programs i made a story you was just phenomenal there was an amazing um old vic performance and it was a live one that they did with um i don't know if you saw it claire smith claire foy and matt smith called lungs which is an incredible play but they did it was they were doing it live to an empty theater but they made on zoom effectively but they made zoom work so it wasn't just like watching a pre-recorded performance they actually made the technology work it was a sort of hybrid of the old world and the new world and that made me really think about what i think we may move to as the world starts to move on from this current weird phase we're in now that cheated because there were lots of wonderful things in there and lots of wonderful these have seen lots of wonderful things that's good there we go. Well, yeah, I shouldn't apologise for that, should I, if I said there aren't any. That's when we'd have to worry. Well, I think uh, Dan's staff, as you said, were all getting excited when they realised that you were this campaign. And uh, that in itself is a pretty wonderful thing. So can you tell us more about your involvement and how that started, how you got the approval of the necessary people, and then why it became such a phenomenon? If, can you do that in less than three hours? <laughs> no. <laughs> I will try but actually the answer to all of those questions is if I was doing a really too long didn't read answer it would be uh, data and insight and it arose out of insight and data that we had collected over the years and actually partly because of 2012 of where we've been following and monitoring how active men and women were so that we could see the impact and because we wanted to get more women and more uh, men um, playing sport as we called it in those days now we talk about playing sport and getting active um, and so we knew in 2013, 2014, when we first started developing what became This Girl Can, that there was a real sustained gap in participation between men and women that sort of oscillated between about one, I don't know if oscillates the right word, but went up and down between well, about 1.7 million, 2 million, 2 million women who just weren't getting active. And that was doing 150 minutes of uh, moderate intensity activity a week. 
And that was despite London 2012, it was despite all the health, men, health messaging, it's despite lots of stuff that we were practically doing to help women get active and women who weren't naturally sporting, weren't naturally going to go and join their rugby club or hockey club or whatever, get active. So we were doing things, but we weren't reaching them. And I identified with the women that we weren't reaching, because as I said, you know, team sport to me is absolute it's horror, <laughs> horror and bad memories. I didn't think of myself as active. I had started running through joining Sport England because it sort of surrounds you and you get, get infected by it. So I had got into activity, but even when I was training for the one marathon that I did, I slipped that in. It was 10 years ago and I still go on about it like it was yesterday. <laughs> the one London marathon that I did, I, you know, and I was training for that. Or when I did that triathlon, Phil, and I would talk to you about it then, I would never describe myself as sporty. I was running three or four times a week, but not sporty because that word is so loaded with meaning that it can be really off-putting to people like me and to lots of the women we spoke to this is clearly going to be the six-hour version phil i will speed up <laughs> <laughs> so we went and we talked to women and what we found was that yes you could give people practical give women practical ways of getting active but if they didn't um, emotionally and mentally feel like they could always for them or see that other women like them were doing it it wasn't going to do anything and it reminds me of when um if you've had a rubbish day and you're talking to a friend or a partner or to somebody about it and they start giving you lots of solutions if you're not mentally in the space where you're ready to hear those solutions everything is impossible so what we needed to do was create some way of talking to women and connecting with women and what became a campaign became this girl can where we empathized with women and we understood the women who felt that sport just wasn't for women like them that we shared those feelings and we did that by um Finding the women who had felt like that but were getting active in the ways that were right for them by sharing their stories, by showing women of all shapes, sizes, abilities, getting active. Traditionally, sports marketing would just show women who are either super brilliant, super brilliant is that a <laughs> really, really good at it, um, or, or models, frankly, um, and airbrushing their pictures and not showing reality. We wanted to show everyday women getting active, doing what they normally do, showing our lumps and our bumps and our cellulite, um, and doing it. In, with a sense of humour and doing it in a way that was aspirational but in terms of attitude rather than lifestyle, that makes sense. Yeah. So that was the insight and it still is, that's the DNA that runs throughout this girl can, sharing real everyday women's stories, having a sense of humour about it, um, never airbrushing because we don't need airbrushing, we're glorious the way we are. Um, and yeah, it was that simple really. In theory, doing it is always a lot more difficult. So uh, as a government organisation, National Lottery Distributor, there's various permissions that we have to go through working with government to keep them on board. At the time of creating the campaign, this was such a long time ago, and it was only five years, it was a coalition government, remember that? So working with that government at that time, we didn't know what colour our next government was going to be, red, blue, it became what it became. <laughs> and then, and so we had to make sure that we have a political engagement with the campaign without it being too political. So there's lots of balances we need to keep along the way, um, and to keep it to keep it going. Um, so navigating all of that, and sorry, and the final thing I'll say about it is make sure that the sports sector understood it as well, because quite understandably, and it's no criticism, but sports sector tends to be run by people who love sport. In the same way with every sector, music, arts. Uh, biscuits whatever it is um so biscuits i should know i used to work in my first summer job was working in carlisle's biscuit factory so i'm a proper carlisle cracker packer and there's now a so it's a complete aside there is now um, a the cracker packers in carlisle there's now um a, a statue of them so as far as i'm concerned that's a statue of me in, in my oh, home city i've decided it doesn't look anything like me but anyway 
sideways uh, digression sorry where was I yeah um help them to understand as well because it was a we could influence the women and we could influence the way women were thinking through the campaign but if they then turned up and it was the same experience that put them off that wasn't going to change so an awful lot of it it's behavior change for women but it was also behavior change for the industry and the industry has really really responded to it and that's been a really rewarding part of it and now a lot of what we talked about and what we were doing which seemed really groundbreaking five years ago um it's just being done now, um, and whether it's in Nike, whether it's um, and other and all the others that we've asked, there's a lot more diversity, a lot more different shapes, sizes. Women's needs are being catered for a lot more, um, but also sort of the on-the-ground stuff that so many sports are doing as well, and physical activity providers. Yeah. I should probably breathe now. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. It, it, it really, I mean, you kind of answered the, the next question with, with the way you've answered this question, to be honest, but... It's, it's moved from a campaign to a movement almost, hasn't it? And it's it's so brilliant to see how it's impacted not only the sort of the direct audience, but other brands, the government. I mean, it's, it's global, won so many awards. But obviously, you, we can tell, and anyone listening can tell, that this isn't to you just a campaign. It aligns with your values, with your beliefs, what you're all about as a person. So I suppose picking up on that... How important do you feel it is to do a job or to work on things like this that you genuinely feel passionate about or that aligns with your beliefs and values? I, I mean, I'm really conscious that I'm really, really blessed and that I've, got, I've been able to do that and that not everyone has the opportunity and I'm not, and I would never criticise people who aren't doing that. I'm not saying that everybody should, but um, you need to find some passion and joy in it. You've at work for an awful long time. Um, in these, weird, in these weird times, um, I think it feels like it's, and again, I realise how privileged I am to do that as well, to be able to work from home and everything. But I think with this sort of blending of work and home and everything and having to sort of be really self-sustaining and keep yourself going because you don't have an office buzz, I think, I don't know how I'd be able to do it if it wasn't something that I really believed, believed in. And I don't think I could just do it for the sake of a bottom line that I didn't care about. That makes sense. That sounds really smug. I'm really worried about sounding really smug because I realise that I'm really lucky to have a job that does that. And even within a, a sector that I cared about, because having sort of got become active through working at Sport England, then realising the how much better I feel when I'm doing regular exercise. I just am a happier, slightly calmer, slightly, uh, <laughs> but slightly more in control person. Um, and so knowing that I then became evangelical about it. So even, even within that, and then work specifically around the gender equality. Um, issue I am really 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 blessed that sounds so smug but I think if you're not finding some joy in it somewhere then I don't know I don't know how you'd get out of bed in the morning really or it must be really hard are you enjoying our podcast remember to subscribe share and leave us a review the, the younger generation really seem to be getting to grips with that and I don't want to advocate our responsibility for sorting that out but there's something about passing on what we've learned um any opportunities for amplification that we've got to raise those voices to equip them to do it and to try and help them do it i think there's something around that there's something and i don't quite know what this looks like or even exactly what i mean but using whatever i've learned whatever i've been able to create to help other groups other people whether that's younger people i think also in terms of diversity and i know this year um we're talking well every year we should be talking a lot about diversity because we should be talking about diversity and inclusivity and yeah. inclusivity until there's no need to talk about it anymore because yeah. it's just there. Um, but really thinking more about what that meaningfully means. And you can imagine my horror on this. That might mean me having to talk less, having finally learned to speak. I might have to shut up and actually, but, but use that to uh, enable other voices to speak rather than thinking. It. So there's something around that and thinking about 
what can I do? How can I make sure that I'm not just the sort of keyboard warrior that I think I'm in danger of becoming on Twitter and things like that, and actually doing some more activism around that in terms of some of the challenges that we as a society face. God, I sound pompous, don't I? No, you don't. But there's something around that, and I guess it is like giving something back, because I've been so, so lucky, I think, and what can I get involved with? What can I do? What charities can I help? Where can I work? Where can I take the skills that I've acquired along the years and, and pass those on? And it's that thing, isn't it? And that diagram of, you know, you climb up the ladder and then you reach down and you pull the next person up and you help them come up. And that's what I should be doing. Pants and I have been watching the TV this week with all the kids being interviewed about the exam results. And and the children at these different schools, uh, whatever schools they are, they come over so well, don't they? When they're being interviewed, they just think, why can't the politicians actually that educated yeah. <laughs> 16 and 17 year olds it's, it's been devastating watching that and obviously the decision has been reversed which is good but it's still going to take a while to sort all of that out is there any implications of that but yeah absolutely the articulous articulacy that's <laughs> that's not a word she said on it articulacy she said on it inarticulately but yeah absolutely and the confidence and their grasp of what's happening and their grasp of um the unfairness of it, but not just not in a sort of I would have just been a teenager just saying it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair. They're much more sophisticated than that, and maybe it, oh, yeah, maybe are. it's sad that they've had to be. And that well, I feel so sorry for them, them, not just with a level. Sorry for them, often one there, not just with what's happened around exams. And I I do understand how difficult it was to work out what to do. I I do understand that. But of all the, there's been it's been such a hard year, but. You know, okay, I celebrate my 50th birthday next year properly. That's fine. It can wait another year. Lots of things for most of us can wait another year. But for that generation, you only have so many rites of passage, don't you? You only finish school once. You only go off to university once or have your gap year. These are all privileged things. You only do lots of those things once. You're only young, free and single once, really. To miss out on those opportunities just is heartbreaking. I appreciate that's also someone. It's at the other end of life as well, the grandparents too. But... um, that's not necessarily the end of life, sorry, Phil, but um, <laughs> I really had better stop talking, hadn't I? I'm getting myself into all sorts of trouble. Well, Kate, Kate, I'd interviewed hundreds of your friends. Oh, God. Hundreds of them. Uh, but actually, it was only one. <laughs> you can guess which one it is. I can't, I'm now very worried. <laughs> she actually was really complimentary, and she said to me that Kate, is exceptionally creative and a brilliant writer. And at least once a week, she'll use a word that the rest of us have got to look up in a dictionary. Is that right? Do you always throw in a big one? I told you I was a show off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, writing is one of my um, passionate things as well, and I don't do enough of it. And that's something else that what comes next, okay, is trying to get back to writing regularly. Uh, even if it's just for my own entertainment, it will never, I can't, of course I'll publish it. I'll publish it, put it on a blog, I mean, um, because there's no way I'll do it just for me. I'm too much of a show off. But, um, oh, bless her. That's very kind of her. I have to say, and I'm not just saying this because I didn't say that I wanted to be in a lift with her. But, yeah, um, Angela's really been, yeah, a friend for 16 years. And she, the support, the comfort, the when I've needed it, when I've needed it, the confidence, the calling me out when I've been an idiot the drinking stories we've got um yeah she's been incredible an incredible friend and very, very uh, she, she also mentioned you mentioned it at the beginning so just tell us a little bit how did you end up in a gay men's dancing group <laughs> what the hell is all that about? <laughs> um 
wanted to dance, I think, and I felt, and I, yeah, and it just appealed to me. So, and they were doing the first ladies' night, they called it then, they didn't call it ladies' night, ladies' only class. So I went along, and it was just really fun, and it was really challenging in a way I wasn't expecting it to be. I think I thought it was going to be a bit sort of wedding disco y, but it wasn't. But I really, really enjoyed it and made some really fantastic friends through that. I've got a little bit better at dancing, but not much. I've started <laughs> singing with them now as well. It's sort of gradually taken over my life. I don't tend to do things by halves. I think that's part of it as well. And it's given me a lot more confidence as well, Brilliant. actually. Yeah, so it's been, it's been fantastic. So whether you're male, female, gay, straight, bi, whatever you are, however you identify or whether you don't identify, come to, yeah, Gay Men's Dance Company in London and Brighton, come and dance, sing with us. Classes are starting again now. Uh, albeit also to distance. We're doing, I'm going to choir tonight and we have to do it in little plastic boxes at the moment, which is very Dan, strange. Dan looks like a dancer to me. When I, every time I'm dance with us. There's a natural dancer there. I'll tell you what, Dan, two left feet more, Dub. Well, <laughs> everybody can dance a bit and even if you can't, we still welcome you in. It is inclusive in every sense. And we were going to do, we have you do a big show once a year and that, it was going to be the day after I turned 50. So this is brilliant. Could not think of a better way of celebrating 50. But we've got the date for next year now. So assuming that we get back to some normality, 27th of March, Phil, Dan, I will get you tickets, come down and watch me make an absolute myself. But I have a fantastic time well. doing it. I'm there. <laughs> Dan, I think we've had a lot of time with this special lady. So it, I'm going to leave it with the Maidstone branch. <laughs> <laughs> the Maidstone branch of the dancing club. And then we, can, we can chance, because uh, it is coming to the end, we can chance her moving her laptop to show us that amazing poppy feel. <laughs> you see, my exaggeration, I should also point out, I think it's probably, I always thought it was obvious that the sunflowers aren't real, but I had them from the beginning of lockdown and a couple of months ago somebody said I can't a couple of weeks ago I can't believe your sunflowers are still alive <laughs> okay. so let me try and this is my uh let's see yeah my amazing poppy field of Major Vale oh, check that um, out look at that <laughs> yeah. it has been a thing of absolute genuine oh wait now obviously this podcast is going to be uh going to be audio what you're missing, what you need to visualise now, is the world's biggest poppy field you can ever see, <laughs> hanging outside a window of a flat in Maidervale. It's I'm not going in. A, it's not an opium crop. Can I just be clear? It's not an opium crop. <laughs> I didn't want to bring that up. <laughs> Whatever gets you through, Dan. Dan, I don't know if it's possible to put that link on to the Eva Peron when we do the final version. I think we should. I think we should. I think Maidervale will never be the same again. So. Okay. I think we I'm going to leave that to my editing crew. So okay. we'll find that link somewhere and we'll make sure it's shared as well as the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> one final question, Kate, as we, as we come to land. And uh, I think you'll probably have a great answer to this. But as an agency, we're all about sort of making complex things wonderfully simple. Now, what's one of life's complexities that you would like to see made simpler? That's really good because I guess over my many years on this planet... Um, I start to realise that life actually, if it's complicated, it's because it's wrong. So actually, and if it's complicated, it's because you're starting to, you're rushing in too quickly, is really uh, yet another pompous answer. Um, so, Ottolengi recipes, sometimes I wish they were simpler, but then I don't really, because that's one thing where it's worth working through it all to get to the result, even if it's just hummus. 
it's, it's amazing numbers. So maybe not that well. Train tickets, train tickets, buying train tickets. That's I want the flexibility to not have to know what I'm going to, especially these days, but even before these days, six weeks in advance to get on this particular train. And the amount of time I've had to wait sitting on a platform because the public sector organisation, quite rightly, um, we have to get the cheapest tickets, but then you end up being sat there for an hour and a half because you can only get that train back from Manchester and it can only be this, that, the other. And it's just, surely, it's beyond, not beyond the realms to organise a simple way of buying advanced train tickets. Is that really dull and boring? That's a brilliant one. That's that's one yeah. Very good, very good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Kate. Oh, thank you. That's been so much fun. Thank you for tuning in to the Wonderful People podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Wonderful Creative Agency. Find out more at thewonderful.co.uk.